Dotnet Rocks, episode 1100. Recorded Friday, January 30th, 2015. Welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And this is show 1100. Yes. That's a thousand shows with you and me, buddy. Yeah. I, and I remember 100 pretty well. Yeah, 100 was the first show that you were actually a host on. Or, no, I think that was a, a communal show. That was the transition show. Yeah. It was a transition show. It was the transition show. You had everybody on. Right. So this uh, we're going to take a look back today and uh, answer some of the questions that we've gotten from our friends over the years and other podcasters. We're going to, we're going to expose how things are done. Yeah, for sure. And we're, and we'll also tell some stories. Yep. I uh, first have a better know framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? You know, Part of the uh, history of .NET Rocks is this little period we call shows 50 to 100. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first exposure to .NET Rocks. It was a little crazy. The shows were about two hours, and we had some really funny and off-color humor. Lots of it, actually. Yes. But uh, one of the things that you you came on uh, at show 69 as a guest, and then yep. after that, you started doing this bit called uh, Richard the Toy Boy. Right. Where you would listen to the show. You'd sit there in the background and listen. While it was being recorded. While it was being recorded, and you'd come up with a good toy and a bad toy. Right. And that, you, you know, and they were related to the topic somehow. Yes. Yeah, it usually freaked the guest out. Yes. Uh, I usually pick something they really, really liked and something they were utterly appalled by. And this is how Richard endeared himself to me, you know, by <laughs> coming up with these awesome things, just sitting and hanging out in the background. Well, I, sir, have found a good toy for you. Uh-oh. And the URL is simply tinyurl.com slash good toy. <laughs> I can't believe that name was available. I can't believe it either. Oh, this is awesome. Tell us what it is. Go <laughs> it's ahead. A, it's an R2-D2 barbecue drum smoker grill. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. It's a drum smoker that looks like R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's actually a 50-gallon drum under the skin there. Yeah, it really is. But somebody's did some good welding to it. And yep. it's got two different gas inputs. That's really interesting. Yeah. What the heck they're up to here. Or maybe that's just decoration, but it looks like gas valves on each side. Yeah. And well, you might have two different burners. Maybe. <laughs> What's a summertime barbecue without our favorite R2 unit? There you go. So there you go. You combine your love of science fiction and Star Wars with yep. your love of barbecue. That is your good toy, that sir. It is a great toy. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah. Now you got to make one. Uh yeah, not this week. I'm I'm <laughs> the 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 uh, outdoor kitchen is full, right? Yeah. So I I would I have to take something away and there's nothing there I'm willing to give up. So there you go, Richard. Uh, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 1000. Oh, okay. Because of course I would, right? Yeah, why not? This is kind of a geek out, kind of a celebratory show. And 1000 was really a lot of fun. And, and Mark Heath says, uh, hey, Carl and Richard, 1000 shows is an incredible achievement. Well done and honored to have been a small part of it. Great to see audio programming getting more love on the show, too. 
And Carl, I'm loving the music. How about a show or a video about what the software and hardware combinations you use to do the recording and production of the show? Um, no. No, no not doing do that. that. Not a chance. No okay. way. Uh, all right, Mark, here's your show, 100 shows later, and uh, we're, we'll do that and a bunch of other things over the course of the show. And thank you very much for your comment and for listening. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. Our guest today is Richard Campbell. Hi. <laughs> and uh, myself. Yes, Carl Franklin. Yeah, we are your guests. And uh, we're just going to have a conversation here. I want to go back to the earliest days of .NET Rocks and give you a little um, preview into what my life was like here. So at Franklin's Net, Franklin's Net is a company that I started for training purposes, and I would teach actually VB6 classes. But this is before .NET. I was teaching my own VB6 classes, and uh, I was doing a lot in the community. Um, I do remember uh, speaking at at uh, the local user groups quite a lot. And these these classes were my main focus. You were into the internet really early, still in the VB era. That's true, yeah. So I, yeah, didn't you do a whole book on VB and internet together? That's right, yeah. So that happened, the first one in 94, and the second one in 95, or maybe it was 93 and 95, but it was around there. Basically, this was uh, John Wiley and Sons sockets programming using a third-party control and there there was a sockets control in vb but it had some problems and so uh, i went with a uh, a third party control that was it was kind of a i don't know if it was a good decision or a bad decision i thought it was just because it was better code but the idea was a, a windsock wrapper and this book i implemented in vb the protocols for ftp nntp which was usenet SMTP, which is sending email, and POP3, which is receiving email, and also how to do HTTP calls. Another thing that I did in this book, and I had no idea I was doing it, was serialization and deserialization. Right. So I would take an object and make a string representation of it, just using, um, you know, just a runtime encoding binary format, really. And uh, and then send that over and and I thought you know who's going to use this you know maybe maybe some people want to use this I don't know I didn't use the word serialization I had no idea what serializing and deserializing was but that's what I was doing at the time right so that turned out to be a pretty popular book and uh, that gave me a, a foot in the door speaking at conferences and things like that VBits you know on internet programming yeah yeah. So, so anyway, I was doing these classes, and I became an RD. Uh, Russ Festino nominated me. He was the DE, the developer evangelist of uh, Boston in New England area. And he nominated me because there was an opening. And uh, that's when I started learning about .NET. And it was called the NGWS, Next Generation Windows System or Services or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, before it was .NET. And uh, then went to an RD meeting and met guys like Scott Hanselman and and uh, Stanfield and uh, Rocky Hans, and Billy, Rocky and Billy, you know, and mind blown. Here's all this information we're trying to digest. This is going to be huge. We should uh, talk about this. So uh, these conversations that I would have at uh, RD meetings and then in conference room uh, 
speakers' lounges, uh, turns out those are valuable conversations, and and people learn by listening to other people's conversations. I know I did uh, listening to NPR and even even going out to uh, a pub after work and listening to the other developers, the senior developers. Uh, help me with stuff that I didn't understand was a, a really valuable thing. So, yeah. And just a way to capture those conversations. Yeah. So just a way, and, and I was a huge fan of NPR. So I decided let's, uh, and I, Mark Dunn, who had taken a class with me and had developed some of the classes that I was doing at the time, he uh, thought that might be a good idea. So we recorded a couple episodes and I had a, mailing list from the days of Carl and Gary's VB homepage and, and my Franklin's net mailing list. So I just sent out a mailing list and said, Hey, you know, here are these conversations or MP3 files, download them. And I had a page that had a little paragraph about each. And that just, uh, that's how it started. By the time, um, Dave Weiner, uh, who was one of the architects of the soap spec and also defined the enclosure tag for RSS, which pointed to a a file, an MP3 file in this case. He sort of was the father of the podcast there. He and uh, Adam Curry, an MTV host from the 80s turned podcaster, um, they sort of pioneered that. And but I remember you talking to me about this. We were already hanging out. We were. When, when that whole conversation about this is how we really should be distributing these files. Well, I think you know, we had uh, 250 shows in the archive already. They were just linked on a web page. Right. Yeah, 200, 250, something like that. So um, they they were in a database. I did start putting them in a database. So writing an RSS feed was pretty trivial for me because I already had uh, ASP.NET and I had uh, the stuff in a SQL server. I just needed to format it the right way. And so we got our RSS feed up really, really quick with a lot of content. And uh, as such, we were one of the first podcasts. And I don't mean the first technical podcast or the first .NET pod. I mean, first podcast. There was about 10 of them. Right. And we were one of them. You know, and that's one of the questions in the Twitters here from Brian McKay is, do you think we could have had this kind of success if we were starting today? That is a really good question. And I don't know. I think, uh, you know, success is just a hard thing to look back on and say, what was it? You, one of the things was the timing, obviously. Yep. Timing helps. But everybody tells us that the sound quality uh, of our show, it, it really helps as well. And well, that, and you're that crazy combination of uh, a software developer and an audio engineer. So you knew how to make it sound great and that you wanted it to be. Right. There's also something very um, uh, sort of unfair about being first, you know? Yes. Well, it, and, and having a thousand shows or 1,100 shows, like, we have a certain sense of gravity now. Yeah. But it also speaks to persistence. That's true. And this is one of the things that I learned from working in content is that it has to be consistent and it has to be every day. You know, not every day, but every week on a regular schedule. And uh, when we first started doing it, we did it every week, and it turned out to be just too much work. And so then we went to every other week, and we saw a dramatic drop-off. Just sort of came listeners. apart. Yeah. yeah. So it uh, picked up. And I, and I quickly realized, you know, in order to sustain this, it has to be a business. We have to have people editing the show and working on this show who have an economic incentive to do a good job. You know? Yeah. 
it can't be just something that uh, is a hobby that we do on our spare time. So I edited the first 50 shows myself, and then I looked around in the local community and found uh, audio guys who not, didn't necessarily know anything about programming, but they knew how to use an audio editing, uh, digital audio workstation, yeah, a DAW, you know, and they knew how to edit. So I taught them the process and wrote the back end in ASP.NET and SQL Server, and we had our RSS feed, and that got us on our way. Yeah, that's that's about how it started. Pretty I much. Guess, and I met you in 2004. Yeah. Although, and you didn't know who I was, but I knew who you were. Right. I, it was uh, DevReach. Yeah. In, in Canada. Uh, Montreal. Jean, uh, uh, or... Um, JR. Yeah, JR. Jean-René. Jean-René Wah. Yep. And, because uh, I had been, uh, I had been frequenting Carl and Gary's VB homepage. Right. A million billion years ago. So, mm-hmm. I think I'd seen your name on the roster and went, oh, Carl Franklin, cool. I always liked his stuff. And I was uh, looking for interesting guests to come on and... And I remember sitting and talking to Jim Duffy and thinking, "Oh man, this is you're going to be a great guest. You know, you're you're hilarious and you got good stories and good insight." And Jim Duffy is hilarious. Duffy is hilarious. He's been on the show a couple of times and he's a smart guy. However, I started to hear you telling a story uh, at another table, which you know is that's what happens when Richard goes out and he has a good time at dinner. He tells stories and they're kind of loud and everybody <laughs> gets sucked in. Uh, they call it holding court, right? Yeah, holding court. And so, you know, uh, he's talking about how he water cools his PC and uh, also about Paul Moeller, the guy who builds flying cars, right? Yep. Yeah. And still not in jail somehow, that guy. So you came over to my table and we started talking some more. And I said, you're the guy, next guy that's going to be on the show. And Duffy's like, hey. What am I, chopped liver? <laughs> I just remember that so vividly. <laughs> Poor Duffy. Nothing against Duffy, but... Um, so anyway, you came on uh, show 69. Rory was the co-host, Rory Blythe, a yep. hilarious guy. And this is in the in the comedy years, right? So And Jeff was pretty immersed in the show then, too. Jeff Maciolik, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he was one of my first editors. And uh, he uh, he still works up in Maine somewhere, I believe. Yeah, he's still around doing his thing. Yep. But anyway, we talked that show about water-cooled PCs and flying cars. And that was the first geek out. Yeah, effectively it was, wasn't it? Long before we ever called it that, it was just a geeking out on some tech. I believe we recorded a video for that too. Yeah, that was the first video show you did. You were making a promo video. I've got it somewhere. Yeah, you know, we might want to digitize that and put it on YouTube. That'd yeah, be fun. put it up somewhere for folks to see. Because uh, that's also... Uh, we got some footage from PDC in mm. San Diego. Uh, we did a bunch of things together. And I, I really feel like we were thick as thieves from pretty much the moment we met each other. This is true. Like, just, I don't think we went through a week and have gone through a week from that point on where we haven't spoken to each other. Yeah, that's really true. And just, it's just one of the, and it's one of those things, right? Like, it's yep. almost a karma thing. It's like... Apparently, we're brothers. Apparently, we are. I have made your actual <laughs> brother uncomfortable yeah, with the things I know about you. What the hell are we doing? We 
We stopped at a rest area on the oh, way back. We're from coming Boston. back from seeing John Schofield. I came out yeah, to yeah. your neck of the woods. Schofield was playing up in Boston, so we went up. We saw him. Jay was with us. Yeah, we're driving back. Yeah, and uh, I suddenly say, "Yeah, we got to pull over for gas." So we stop. We don't actually need any gas. You disappeared. After a while, Jay's like, "What's going on?" Says, we didn't stop for gas. I'm in the restroom. Yeah. All right. Do you get any questions? Like, duh. I've been across the country with the guy four times. <laughs> I know when we need to stop for gas. Uh, so, <laughs> so another part of this uh, equation of success, I believe, is our audio quality, and we're we're here to tell that story as well. Yeah, and it's evolved too. It oh. was a it was a lot more complicated for us to connect together when I first started getting involved in. Well, yeah. in sixty nine, I was just on the phone, right? So, uh, which is with all the limitations that entails. Although, actually, making a half decent recording of a phone call. It's not a trivial thing. And it wasn't from the start. Let me tell you something. Um, when we, when I started with Mark Dunn, we were using a tool, a little box called the JK Audio Inline Patch. And if you go to jkaudio.com and just look at their products, you'll see the inline patch. It's a very, uh, small and now relatively ineffective compared to what we use, uh, thing called a digital hybrid. And so right. here's what it does. So you have a telephone line plugged into it, and you also have a microphone plugged into it and an audio output, okay? And so what it does is it sends your microphone signal over the phone line. You know, the phone line's connected to a, tel- a real telephone. Yep. And then the caller side, it uh, extracts the caller side from that conversation. Because remember, this is just – there isn't – It's not digital, right? It's analog. It's one audio signal. So it uses digital signal processing in real time to sort of tamp down and erase almost the, the, what, you know, the speaker, the person who's talking into the microphone and only get an audio signal of the caller. Right. Yeah. However, the JK audio inline patch. You know, the microphone still sounded, right? So editing was, you couldn't just leave it in. You had to take everything out. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah. And you, st- if there was any crosstalk whatsoever, you would hear on the caller's line when the caller was talking. So we had to be really, really careful about not stepping on each other. And, uh, and I remember talking to guys like Alan Cooper, and he would... I was saying something, I didn't finish what I said, and he barreled in, with, and I just said, I had to stop him, and I said, hey, I'm really sorry, but can you say that again? He's kind of like, oh, what was I saying? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it like, catches you off guard when the technology is hanging you up and not letting you just express yourself. Especially a guy like Coop, or, or somebody who really rolls like that. Yeah. It's, it's hugely impairing to have that interruption. So I moved up to the broadcast host, which is another JK Audio product, a little bit more expensive, maybe 500 bucks. And it was better, but it wasn't that much better. I mean, it was better, but it's, but I still had to remove, manually remove the audio underneath when the, you know, my audio, when the other guy was talking, we still couldn't have crosstalk. Then we found this thing called the Telos One. And the Telos is another digital hybrid. But it's so much better. And it turns out this is what NPR uses. Right. Yeah. 
And I, I would point out, just looking at each of these devices in turn, priced accordingly. Yeah. Right? It's like 300 bucks for the inline, 500 bucks for the broadcast host, eight. and it's like $1,000 for a Telos. Yeah, it's about 800 for a Telos, and then... then if they, you can find them anymore, the OnePlus one's like gone. So there's a Telos one that has one line, and then there's the, the one we use now, and we've been using for years, called the Telos One Plus One. And the Telos One Plus One has two hybrids that are bridged together. So you can effectively conference two lines and have discrete outputs for just the callers. And there is no bleed over. Yeah. No, com- and no comparison that, that that product makes such a difference. They've, they've gone all digital now. Yep. And priced accordingly. I guess at some point, I've, I've had a couple of hybrids fail me now. Not that we use it much anymore. Right. Because Skype. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that brings me to the other story, the story of how we actually do all this stuff. I mean, you have people on the telephone, but yet it sounds like Richard and I are in the same room together. How is that done? Well, and I would argue the one thing, if we're actually good at anything, is it sounds like we're together. It's not just an audio quality thing. It's the way we interact. Yeah, that's right. So here's how it works. And this is the way we did it from day one, Uh, We even with Mark Dunn and Rory. So I'm recording uh, into a multi-track recorder, and the one we, we've been using for years is Adobe Audition. And uh, before that, it was Cool Edit Pro. Story about that, too, I'll put on the stack. So I record my microphone on one channel. Mm-hmm. You call into a phone line that goes into the Telos one, and I record you on that. Right. Now, my microphone system is outputting into the Telos one, so you can hear me. Yes. All right? So I record you on the phone. Now, I don't use that, but you're recording a microphone uh, track locally, and then you upload a WAV file to me, and I match that WAV file up manually, sync, you know, just eyeballing it to uh, your phone track. And so it's in sync. And then mute the phone track. That's it. So well, you- then you also have the guest on the other phone line, which I can hear and you can hear. That's and right. And you can patch it back. That's right. So we have a guest on another phone line. They go into the other side of the telos. And this is if we're using the phone, right? Yeah. They go into the other side of the telos and, and you only hear them on that, on that shot. But you know, in the early days, we had VoIP even back then. Yeah, that's right. VoIP was crappy. Yeah. We had a joke, uh, about. What was the Vonage was the company? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Vonage. So we had a joke called, do you speak Vonage? It goes like this. If I was going to say, hello, have a nice day, in Vonage, it would sound like this. Day. So, I mean, that that's essentially what it was like. Right. And and it was better. We were better off using analog phone lines wherever possible at that time. That's right. And, and even Skype was bad. Like yeah. That. Everything was bad. Everything was the bad. The broadband was just not good enough. Yep. We didn't have enough bandwidth. And uh, how it dealt with low bandwidth was not as good. Yeah, so, not that Skype deals with low bandwidth. You know, when Skype's good, it's great. When it's bad, holy man. Yeah. It's not good. But after a while, we started trusting Skype a bit more. And uh, our guests now, if they can, if they are, you know, have the ability, they will record a microphone track locally as well as a backup. Yeah. So, Although, I mean, there's a few things that have happened there. A, a lot of people don't have analog phone lines anymore anyway. And calling to a cell phone sucks. Yeah, it does. And most people have Skype and decent broadband, but it's getting more and more common that people actually have decent microphones at home. Yeah, it's true, because uh, it turns out 
the internet and media kind of go together hand in hand. Um, so creating videos, how to videos, using a good microphone for conferencing, whatever. They're, yeah, you can always tell when you're interviewing a plural site author. Right. Because they got a good rig. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. And there was a while there where you were even sending gear to people yep. to try and get a better quality recording. That's right. And it usually didn't work out. Right. Because people, it's not easy to use this gear. It's just not, it's not simple. It takes time to set it up. Right. Get it right. That's right. Especially if you just, you just want a black box you can plug in and go. Yeah, that's been your dream. As long as I've known you in this business, could, could we just make this just go? And it's never been true. Well, I actually had written a really cool app back in the day that re, uh, recorded your microphone track to an MP3 and yeah. uploaded it to us. Yeah, that simplified it. But a then you still, you still had to get the microphone right. You had to get the levels right. I mean, how many overloaded soundtracks or audio tracks have we had? How many? It's just like, ah. It was always something. Yeah. So that, that brings up another thing, which is, you know, when you're deciding to do podcasting, that's just a big word now. And it means a couple of things. If you're doing it like Richard and I are doing it, you have a dedicated machine that you don't use for anything else that is doing the recording. Yeah. Um, people make the mistake of using a laptop that they use for other things. And, you know, what happens is your microphone settings change, your, your default microphone changes, your audio outputs and inputs change and uh you have stuff going on in the background that's stealing cpu uh it's just not a good idea and you have bonking problems yeah you know the other thing i've come to appreciate how quickly do we pick up on you're not using the microphone you think you're using oh yeah and we know and we know everybody's skype settings i was like okay go here yep switch off auto gain and yep. yeah you're not actually using that nice microphone <laughs> so let me let me uh, break down what richard just said so um <laughs> somebody uh, a guest calls and they're with skype and they sound like this i'll just right you know i'm back here in my room right and they said how do i sound do i sound okay and <laughs> and we say yeah, we say, no, actually, you sound like you're in a bathroom. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm using a headset mic. And we're like, okay, yeah. So yeah. they have the headset mic plugged in, but Skype uses, uh, you, there's a settings in Skype yep. on the PC that say which microphone input to use. And a number of times you have people's like, I've had this headset for a year. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you've never used the microphone. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry, but that's what's happened. You've been wearing it, but that's it. Yeah, it's easy to do because it's because it doesn't make it obvious, and it's only because we've done this so many flipping times. And on the Mac, it's even worse because the setting is in a system in the system preferences. Yeah, it's Skype doesn't Skype. get to own it. Yeah, on Windows eight, it's the same. The Windows eight version of Skype. Yeah, yeah, it's a system setting. You have to you have to go over there. Yeah, the other thing that Richard said there that's vitally important is automatic level gain, and why this is evil. So it, it's so much better if you turn that automatic gain control off uh, and set a level based on the loudest you're going to be. So what I do is I usually laugh really loud, and if it goes in the red, I turn it down. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and I keep doing that. We also uh, get pretty close to our microphones when we speak. But we also have broadcast microphones. Yes, we do. Well, I'm using um, – it's not even a broadcast mic. It's a – Audio Technica 2020. It's a hundred dollar yeah. mic. Yeah, me too. Yeah, We're, but they sound. I mean, they're a large diaphragm mic. Yes, they they need to be in a spider a suspension rig. They yep. need pop filters. Like, there's a certain amount of care and feeding. This is not a mic you just pick up and use. To get back to automatic gain control, the reason why it's evil is because when things are quiet, 
In other words, when you're not talking, it raises the gain. Right. And so you get a lot of background noise. So you stop talking, you're... Yeah. And then when you start talking, it lowers the gain. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't hear the person. It's completely stupid for talking. Yeah. I honestly think that that automatic gain is not for our benefit. It's for Skype's benefit because it actually helps with compression. Well, it does, and but it's not good for talking in general. It's good for music. If you have yeah. a signal that's constant, that's great, you know. But fine. yeah, so it doesn't blow you out. But always better to set gain manually. But uh, before we go on, Richard, you know what time it is? Yeah, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to uh, give away the product. <laughs> dude what a good joke <laughs> it's time oh, to give dude. away a d experience subscription from developer express to one lucky member of the fan club but first uh, become a ui superhero with dev express ui controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Right. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Me. I'm the winner. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's Neil Danson. Congratulations, Neil. Yeah. And Neil just won the, the D-Experience subscription. You know, I still haven't checked, but I think they're giving away the complete universal subscription. Nice. I'll double check that. But uh, he, he either way, Neil just won a big pile of awesome from DevExpress. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we'd like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. So you might want to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about remote. Yeah. How did, how did, how did we do remote? I remember, so I remember many one ways. particular show where I was doing my Toy Boy bit from Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. That was remote. Well, we've done it in so many ways. Remote means a couple of things. It means that one of us is remote and we do a show with a guest. And it could also mean that we're in the same room with a guest with microphones. And it could, uh, yeah, so I guess it could mean anything else, could it? Yeah, it's just not in the studios. Yeah, exactly. So that's a totally different kind of podcast, right? And it's a totally different uh, setup that you have to have. Again, we found that not relying on our laptops was smart. Yep. Because things Wrecked change. a lot of shows. Yeah. So I was always into looking for these remote uh, handheld devices, recorders or whatever, that would do a good job. And the one we finally settled on that really did a fine job is the Zoom H4n. And before that, we had all sorts of, you know, moderately crappy ones. Yeah, one of those big Tascam units. We've had a few different. We used to use the Marantz unit, which yeah, was the really good, but it was big. It was big and expensive. Big and expensive, yeah. And he uses, used uh, CF cards, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And the Zoom H4n uses uh, SD cards, plenty of room. I think the H4n is one of the first ones that are just plain old worn out, although it lasted a long time. I've broken a few. Yeah. Remember those little M-Audio ones? They broke regularly. Oh, the M-Audio ones were terrible. Yeah, they just kept breaking. 
Uh, but this new one you got, the H6, is amazing. Yeah, so the Zoom H6 has actually six uh, microphone jacks. It has four that have phantom power, and that means you can use condenser microphones with them, which is what we use on the road. Uh, and if you're going to use the other two for uh, with condenser microphones, you have to have a phantom power source, a preamp, so to speak. But we also settled on these microphones after a couple of different uh, options. We settled on the DPA Fine Omni, uh, beige Omni microphone. And this is, you wear it over your ear. And there's a good reason for this. Even though it looks a little weird and lapel mics are a little more out of the way, we usually use these when we're doing panels, right? Yep. And you put a lapel mic on a person on a panel, they're constantly turning their head to the left and to the right to address the other people on the panel. And that is not where the microphone is. Yeah, it sound, and you can hear it right away in the recording. Yep, and they sound like this, and it's like, and it's a sound like that, and it's like this over here. And it, yeah, so it doesn't sound good. No. So we wanted something that goes over the ear that it makes a lot of sense. You can move around, you can use your hands. You don't have to hold anything, Miguel Castro. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, and we, you know, the ba- where we got good at the, that was the road trip. When we were doing an on the road. Sh- it's one thing when you're in a in a booth or on a stage at an event, and you're going to record a few shows, right? But you know, we got ruthless after 38 stops in 13 weeks on the road because yeah. a you beat the snot out of your gear. Yep. It's just hard on equipment to sure be is. Pa- packed and unpacked every day, all over and over and over again. We had and another one. We had another one that was a Shure microphone that was over the ear that broke. A lot yep. of them broke. Just couldn't take it, right? Yeah. But the, the downside, of course, is that those mics are expensive, but they're worth it. Yeah, I mean, when it's your job, you can't cut corners or else no. you're going to be constantly disappointed. And that's what happened to us. So that is our gear list. Um, the other thing that I want to say is there were times when I was snowed in or something at my house and uh, we did a regular show, but instead of me doing the engineering at the studio, Richard has a Telos One Plus One and uh, he was doing the engineering. I would call on my cell phone and I would use the H4 to record a local track and I would use headphones with my cell phone so I, you know, so it wasn't on a speaker and I didn't have to hold it to my ear. Right. And that worked just great. Yeah, it's always hard. I mean, it's much more comfortable to do them in the studio. I, I remember being in Romania and doing three or four shows with you from the hotel room yeah. with the H4 over the, and, the, and the, the cell phone. But the main thing is just getting a half-decent recorded track. And how many t- stunts have we done in hotels with sticking microphones in pillows and things just to try and get a flat enough sound? Now, that is a great tip, and I'm glad you brought that up. There have been times when we've been on the road where we've had to do an ad spot. And, uh, because it had to change and, but we're in Europe or something like that. And so the, the trick is to take your microphone and, and at the time we were using handheld microphones. This was not, uh, over the ear microphone. I don't know yeah, they how were it like work. Sure. 58s. Yeah. They were sure beta, uh, 87 C's, right. I think. And, uh, you put it in a pillow. So you're in a hotel room, you have a pillow. And it's even better if you can lie down on the bed because then you have a pillow behind your head and then you hold the microphone in a pillow itself. So right around the microphone, it's absorbing sound. And you would not believe how great that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. 
well, it's as good as it's going to get. You know, I had, uh, after the flood, remember when the fish tank burst? Right. And uh, I had to record outside of my normal studio space. We, we had a lot of fun with just trying to get decent sounds. Well, I, I, I think you eventually just sent me a um, that sound baffle. That's that right. I put around the mic. Yeah. Just to try and keep the echo of the room out of the sound. Yeah. Uh, I, we have recorded in a lot of adverse conditions. Right. <laughs> I think I remember recording a show with somebody while standing in a line for like the Studio 2005 launch. I do something. remember that too. Because <laughs> sometimes you only have two mics. So you give one mic to the guest and then we wag a mic. Pretty quick. We know each other's cues so well. Right. I think if we freak people out because you'll, you'll, you know, they'll, they'll answer and you'll be looking at them and suddenly just put the mic in front of me and I'll start talking. And they're like, how did he know? <laughs> it's like, I cued him. I told him I wanted to talk. Yeah, he stepped on my toe. I stepped on your toe or I bumped against <laughs> him or something. I cued him. And, 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 but it doesn't have to be a big cue anymore. The big thing I found is don't, you don't want to distract the guest with the paraphernalia around recording. Yeah. The sooner they forget the recording, the better. So now let me tell you what the editors do. And yeah. this is a wonderful thing that they do. They do go ahead and take out all the audio where on every track where there's supposed to be silence. That allows us to do stuff like this. <clears throat> right? Yeah, if I if I'm talking and you need to cough, you don't have to hold back right. cuz I'm not interruptible. And yours is just going to be suppressed. That's right. And everything's on its own track, so there's no bleed over. So uh, this is great. Now, there's another thing that we do, which is noise reduction. And at the beginning of every show, and everyone who's been on the show knows that we do this, we say, hold your breath for five seconds, and I mean it. And we hold our breath, and you hear the noise. You hear the room noise. And, uh, it, you know, it's not a lot of noise, but there is ambient noise. Yes, there's always ambient noise. There's always ambient noise. And we have this uh, algorithm that in a, in a setting in the noise reduction toolkit of Adobe Audition that uh, takes it out. And there's a, you know, we've labored and tried a bunch of different settings and we've come up with the golden setting. So all of our shows are prepped by Brandon Wen and uh, he preps them by removing the noise and maximizing the volume. So how he does that is after the noise has been removed, he does a hard limit, which pushes the volume up as far as it will go, and then even a little further than zero, but then the peaks get slammed down. And the trick with hard limiting is you don't do it so much that it pumps, it sounds like it unna it's unnatural. Right. But you do it enough so that it's as loud as it can possibly be. And the People miss the point of this. It's not that we want our podcast to be loud. You have a volume control on your whatever you're listening on. But if it's too soft, you turn that up to 10 and you still can't hear us. Now we have a problem. You can always turn it down if it's too loud, but you can't always turn it up if it's not loud enough. So that's why we do it. I think we're also very conscious of the fact that a lot of people listen in their commute, right. which means they're not in ideal listening conditions. Mm -hmm. Stuff's noisy. But also, I think it affects the format. We're very, I'm pretty careful about making sure, and I know you are too, of repeating some things and, and taking time to make sure people know where we are. Yeah. Just because you, you're distracted. Yeah. Right? You, maybe you're exercising or you're, Riding your lawn mower, or you're uh, you're you're in a bus, or whatever, and, and there's things that take your attention away. We don't want you to be lost. 
So this didn't come in on Twitter, but I've been asked this before. And uh, I'll ask you, Richard, and, and then I'll answer. What's your biggest fear associated with .NET Rocks and doing this podcast? Uh, I hate losing recordings. Yeah. Like, you know what sucks? <laughs> an hour later or a half an hour in yeah. going, oh, no, X. Yeah. And, and I only have that fear because it's happened. You know, you, but we've made too many recordings. I, there's right. very little else to worry about. I worry about running out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I used to worry a lot more about it. Um, and I know that you have this, you know, ex- existential angst every once in a while. When I call it the Larry David moment. Yeah. Right. Because Larry David was the guy who created Seinfeld. He and he and Seinfeld did it together. But he, I read a piece from him where he was talking about every time they got a new season of Seinfeld, he'd cry himself to sleep. Like, how am I going to come up with 22 more of these stupid things? Right. You feel the pressure to make all 22 of them right now. Yeah. We, and I have those panics every so We make three shows a week, dude. Yeah. Like, every so often, you're like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> uh, I've gotten pretty, after 10 years of doing it, and it's been 10 years I have, uh, I've got a pretty good system for keeping myself calm. I, I have a lot of notes in one note. Like I am constantly noting down ideas and people. Plus we get a ton of email and messages from folks and I collect all that stuff together. And so just when I'm thinking, I need to book a few shows, I'll go through the notes and like, I, I have some ideas here. That sort of gets it rolling and I can never book a show. Yeah. I invariably book 10 shows. Yeah. So the other part of the fear of, uh, running out of things to talk about is the guest. And, and I don't mean that I'm afraid of guests because, you know, doing the show is second nature, but there are a couple of different kinds of guests. They're the guests that know exactly what they're going to talk about. They know what all the issues are. And you, you just, you just set them off with a question. What is this all about? And that's the last time you talk, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Rocky Laka, Silverlight, go. go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and of course, Richard and I are always trying to think of the question that the listener would ask. Right. And that's really what podcasting is all about. If you're going to be a good podcast host, you have to come up with the questions. I mean, that's what it's all about. So sometimes you get a chance to do that and sometimes you don't. But the, the extreme opposite of that is a guest that runs through everything that they have to say in 15 minutes and then yeah, that's pretty much it. They, they're done, you know? Yeah. And so you, uh, there's always stuff around the topic to talk about. And uh, Richard, you're really, really good at, at finding those ancillary topics and how they're related. I don't know how your brain works, but man, <laughs> it's a talent that you really do have. I think in strange ways and, and in lots of different directions. Yeah. So, but, uh, and I, well, I, you know, I thought when you first asked me to be co host, I hesitated. Because I thought we were too much alike, actually, <laughs> at the time. Yeah. I mean, we had only known each other for a few months at that point. Well, we had VB in common and had both yeah, done it, some access programming. and. But it sort of hit me that I was much more of an enterprise guy. Yep. Then you were much more of the get your fingernails due to get down there, write the code. Yep. And so we can take different positions on a topic. Yeah. And so often, you know, the the... The blowout of the side that comes in the second half from me, and that happens in a lot of shows, is an enterprise question. Right. It's, hey, how does this fit in the context of X? Yeah. And then you, you know, and then it's sort of a pause. It's kind of a tailspin of, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, (laughs) 
And that's useful because, you know, different audience members have different viewpoints on these things and they, and context matters for a lot of that. Right. Yeah. So true. And, uh, you know, there are the, the hard data topics that, uh, that you have a lot of experience with that, uh, you know, my experience with SQL is building apps for people, building right. web apps, building apps for myself. Not a whole lot of, you know, hardcore DBA stuff. Right. And then, and scaling websites. And let's face it, I've done enterprisey things. Yeah. You know, most of the code that I look at today, somebody else wrote and is asking me to make it go faster. The other big challenge we have is trying not to project. And, you know, we all do this in conversation with our families, with our friends. You see something in somebody else that rubs you the wrong way and you project yourself into the situation. And, uh, you know, ultimately bad things happen. Yeah. So it make for a good show. Yeah. It doesn't make a good show either. So sometimes I love to bring up how something has affected me, but it's not going to dominate the show. You know, yeah, because you know my experiences are my experiences, and they're different than yours. So it's uh, so we want to make the show about the guest, and every once in a while we do a show like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of brings us to the geek outs. Yeah, the geek which is outs. Totally your fault. Yeah, I I take full responsibility for that. I flatly did not want to do that. You did not. No. Yeah. No, and I need, and and I wouldn't believe you. You had to talk me to trying once, and we had to. It was empirical data from there. Well, again, it was the same thing. You'd be surprised at how successful you can be, kids, just by paying attention. The, we're out at dinner a lot on the road trips and things, and when you take a road trip with Richard, and you see different people every night except for Richard, right? And so you hear the same stories over and over again, and he has a really great stomach for repetition. But uh, you know what happens is. I realized these stories are gold, man. How do you, how do you just riff on the whole nuclear uh, geopolitical landscape in Asia? How do you do that for an hour and just captivate your audience? It's like storytelling, right? But, yeah. So so you really have a gift there, and and you know I really wanted to call that show Richard's Brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I even have the domain richardsbrain.com. <laughs> Richardpedia, that was another one. Richardpedia.com. Yeah. But no, seriously, those those shows are really about you doing research and this is where you shine. You do research, you figure stuff out, and you put it out there. And it's definitely become in the past year uh my research I, I realize is very much uh, what i love about it is the research phase making the show is nice but it's the pressure to make the show that forces me to finish the research and clarify my thinking right i can't tell you how many times we've committed to a topic and i've at the end of it come out and said i thought i knew yep x i thought i knew fusion power yeah and then i finished the research and it was a, and it's absolutely a moment of clarity mm. where it's like Okay, this is now ready. I get it. You know, the pieces have fallen together. I see the story in this now. Uh, I, when we first, when Fusion bubbled to the top, mm. um, I thought it'd be one show. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I, and I had thought it'd be, I knew we'd have to do something on Cold Fusion and we'd have to do something on the big stuff, the iters of the world, and there'd be everything else. Yeah. And then the everything else sort of congealed around this idea of all these tech billionaires contribute to these different projects. Isn't that interesting? Mm. And that sort of gave us the three areas. And then as I actually said, how do you, you know, dug into how am I going to explain this? It wasn't 20 minutes a section. It was an hour a section. And ta-da, we have three shows. 
And still the one I sweated bullets over was the Cold Fusion one because I thought it was nothing but a bad news story right. until I read the paper on muon catalyzed fusion. Because mm. that was the moment where I went, Cold Fusion's been happening since the 1950s. It just doesn't make electricity. Yeah. And that was kind of the... And then you started to have this moment go, wait a second, Fusion's never made electricity. What are we talking That's about? That's right. <laughs> so we can't finish the show without talking about our sponsors. Because honest to God, if it weren't for a sponsorship, this wouldn't be a show. We without a doubt, flatly and you wouldn't know, be doing it. And we had this question of, how, is it hard to find sponsors? And I think one of the points is, there's nobody out there that's thinking, I want to sponsor a podcast. Right. The, you know, sponsors become sponsors because they want to speak to you. Hmm. You know, that's what's important. They they think that you need to know about what they're doing. And, and we have to agree. I mean, we're pretty particular about who we take as a sponsor. That's right. But it's, you know, is this relevant to the audience? Uh, we have you know, turned we down a lot of potential sponsors just because, <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times people have wanted to litter the .NET rocks.com page with uh, text ads. And, and yeah. I flatly refused that because we, we want it to be clean. You know, uh, nobody wants all that stuff yelling at you. Those banner ads don't work anyway. Well, I think it was always a commitment. You said to me right off the bat, it's like no ad on the show that we don't make. Yeah. I mean, that, like if you, and so the point being, if you can't say the words, don't promote the product. Yeah. Right. Like you've got to mean it. That's right. And, you know, I've been in the tool business, you know, before I got into training and all that, I was in a, a, a software, I worked for a software tool vendor. So I know all about that stuff and I know what makes good tools and what doesn't. And uh, we also have a lot of friends that use these tools and we get the thumbs up and thumbs down from them. And then they're just, you know, then there's Mark Miller. I mean, <laughs> the guy's a freaking genius. And, yeah, uh, he really is. You know, Dev, Exp Dev Express is his baby. So here's the thing with our ads. If you've noticed that we, we speak them and uh, it's very much like old time radio, although there, we try to make them not painful for you because, yeah. uh, no, I don't like people that yell at me. I don't like crazy music and hype. I hate that. And that's why I don't watch TV. It's just full of it. And I don't listen to commercial radio either. And it's not because I'm a snob. It's because I want to pollute my freaking brain with that stuff. Yeah. And they shout at you. They like, do. You know, the moment the ad comes on, it's three times the volume. Right. But if there's something cool that you didn't know from one of our tool vendors that uh, it's worth going and taking a look at, there you go. And that's pretty much, and anytime we've ever talked about a product, is exactly what we've said. Right. This is cool. You should look at it. Yeah. And it turns out that kind of advertising is a lot more effective anyway. Yeah. If it gets you to actually look. Yeah. You know, that's all. They, they, they don't want you to necessarily buy. They want you to take a look. Give them a chance. Right. To show you what they've got. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. If it fits, you know, maybe there's something to do there. Yep. Very good. Well, that's just about it, huh? I think that's everything, man. Yeah. What do you want to do for the next thousand? Uh, I don't know. I think it's time to change the theme song, though. What do you think? Uh, I don't think you could do that, really. No? <laughs> I think it's it's a, it's a an icon. What if we got the uh, the Franklin Brothers band to do a, a live version of Toy Boy that's a little slowed down funkier with some horns and stuff? No, I could live with that. Yeah. 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 We should try... Update uh, the lyrics, maybe? Yeah, the lyrics are a bit stale. <laughs> no two ways about it. You're talking about technologies nobody's using anymore. Yeah, that's right. And you hear the, you see the FCC just redefined broadband as 25 megabits or higher. Really? Yeah. Why, why did they do that? Be, be, to force companies to upgrade their service. If you're only given a one megabit service and you've been 
saying, uh, you know, we get broadband. You can't call it broadband anymore. That's awesome, actually. Yeah, it's very clever by the FCC. Huh. You know, but it, uh, you talk about updating Toy Boy. It's like, hey, we're the standards are moving forward. Hmm. What broadband really means is becoming a bigger deal. Well, so let's see. Uh, t- 12, 13 years and 1,100 shows later. Yeah. We're still rocking. We're not going anywhere, kids. Keep. It almost makes you wonder if we shouldn't roll those tablet shows into this, you know, just bump ourselves up to 1230. Yeah. Yeah. That tablet show, that was, that was great. We, it was fun. It was a good idea. Uh, it ran its course, I really think. I think they're, they're even still today, they're worth listening to because we were talking about some big ideas in mobile. Yep. And, uh, definitely worth listening to. That's at thetabletshow.com. And you, you know, you, and you hit on another element of like the ta- looking at the tablet show gives you sort of a story arc of f- us, you know, the, the .NET community starting to embrace mobile and tablets. I've often thought we should go through and pluck all the Silverlight shows out, take soundbites out of it, and we could make the, the history of Silverlight from beginning to end. I love that idea. Yeah. There's a few things like that. There's sort of that mergent thing. I, I, I love that we do, um, state of mobile and state of cloud mm. shows once or twice a year. Yeah. Because when you listen, you look at them back to back, you could see how our thinking has evolved. Right. Absolutely. It's interesting stuff. It is. We're going to keep doing it. I hope you keep listening and keep in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, email and all the and other the .NET Rock site. Absolutely, the .NET Rock site and the mobile apps because we got them for Windows <laughs> 8, Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8. Do you notice I change the order every time I do I do notice. <laughs> People think it's a pre-record. I'm like, I change the order every time to make you sure it's not a pre-record. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a toy boy. Life is hard.